we've been talking about um, for a number of weeks, and we'll continue to talk about moving from a place where we are picturing ourselves outside of God's love as orphans to moving to a place where we find ourselves in the center of God's love at home as beloved sons and daughters. And so we come to Paul this morning for the scripture. This is the fourth chapter of Galatians, beginning in verse 4. See, when the set time was fully come, uh, when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to come and set free and redeem those of us under the law into adoption, into sonship. God has sent his son to redeem us into adoption, into sonship. And then Paul goes on. And says, because you are God's son, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts who cries out, Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. You are no longer a slave, but a child. And if you are a child, then you are also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. One of my favorite stories, some of you have heard, is about a wise man who's sitting by the road and and a young man comes running past him and he says, young man, why are you running? And the young man says, I'm chasing after my good fortune. And the wise man says, oh, silly man, slow down. Your good fortune is chasing you and trying to catch up with you. I think about that story when I think about my life. How often my life has spent, been spent on the run, not after good fortune, but more after a sense of significance, of worth, of value, of home. How many times have I run trying to establish my own place in the world? And I've run toward other people to do that, trying to impress them if I could. As a young uh, person, I tried to impress uh, my parents and others with uh, uh, academics or athletics. And then even as an adult, I tried to impress others with achievement or even worse, my own children's achievement. Trying to get that sense of value and love. And I didn't just run toward them. I ran toward God. I ran toward God trying to get God to be impressed and pleased with me. To get God to say, you are really special. I know I've told some of you about my uh, cat, and occasionally my cat will accidentally catch something. And on that off, off chance that he does, he'll bring it to the back door. Now, just recently we installed a pet door, so we're a little nervous about what might come through the door now. But I look at my life, and it's the same way. You know, I'm dragging to God's door behind me. God, did you see that? Did you hear that sermon? Did you see what I did for that person? Did you look at the time and the spiritual disciplines and the practices I put in? All the time running in the hopes of impressing others, the hope of impressing God. There's a word for that in the Bible. And the word for that sort of behavior Paul uses, and he uses the word slave. It is a slave who tries to continue to perform, to impress 
Because whereas the heir knows that everything in the house comes to him anyway, comes to her anyway, the slave doesn't. Unsure of their position, they try to secure it through performance, through effort, through control, through manipulation. They try to strive and to gain what they feel is not already theirs. And the word... Paul uses his slave. Now, that seems kind of a, like a harsh word to Americans, given our history. But uh, my youngest son helped me on this this week. He's taking a class on Paul at school. And he, he told me about somebody who was doing a comment on the Galatians letter that we're in. And they noticed that the word slave is sometimes used in the Greco-Roman world for a person who is estranged from their family. Who is estranged from love. And so they even use, as an example, the famous play Antigone, where uh, one of a person is a brother to somebody else. I mean, a biological brother. And yet they call that brother a slave because that brother lives outside the family's love. That brother lives as if he is not loved. And the word for that is slave to, to live as if you don't really have a place in the home. Now, we've chosen to use the word orphan, perhaps a kinder and gentler but just as accurate a term where you really don't feel like you're a child. I think to me this is, uh, is exemplified in the movies. I, I know I've told you before that the scene that just sets up for me this whole thing in, 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 in vivid detail is Private Ryan. You'll remember that when they save Private Ryan, Captain Miller dies. And as Captain Miller is dying, he says to Private Ryan, you better be worth it. Go home, cure a disease, or invent a longer-lasting light bulb. And so we don't see the intervening time. All we see is years later at the uh, Allied Cemetery, there is Private Ryan with his wife and his family at Captain Miller's grave, and he turns to his wife and he says, Tell me, tell me I was a good man. Tell me. Tell me I'm worth it. And we don't see the 60 years in between. But I get a picture of a guy who's building a home but really never knows himself at home. Always wondering why he survived. If he should have survived. Was he worth it? The orphan says, tell me I'm somebody. Tell me I matter. Tell me I have significance. Tell me. I'm a good man. So the orphan begins to run hard. And I have to tell you, after years of running hard, that can be pretty tiring. And and I feel it in my bones, but other people must be beginning to pick that up. Uh, Friday night, we went to a high school football game, and there's a line of people behind us, you know, trying to buy a ticket. And in this long line, the guy that's selling a ticket to me, for two minutes, explains to me how when I turn 65, I can get a pass and come to the games much cheaper. I'm like, dude, I don't even know if I'll be alive then, but I got some years. But I must look tired. All that running, all that chasing, all that proving gets you tired. And I think it gets you tired because it just really doesn't work. I mean, impressing people, trying to get from people acceptance and worth and value, that's a tiring exercise because people are fickle. Some will like you and some won't, and some will like you one minute and some won't like you the next. 
And besides, even if they do, that won't fill the main hole in your heart. Augustine said, all of us have a God-sized hole in our heart. And if we fill it with anything other than God, it's not going to be filled. And so the love that I need to experience and know from God, I can't get from you. Try as I might. You can even try to love me, but it won't fill or plug that hole because that has to come from God. So running after other people is really pretty useless. Trying to impress them has no staying power. There's no stick there. And then trying to run after God, well, that doesn't work either. I mean, how do you impress God? I mean, really. I know you've heard me muse about this out loud before. I really do imagine a scene in heaven where God is holding court and God says to people nearby, look at the rings of Saturn. Look at this new galaxy that's being created. And did you hear David's sermon last Sunday? You know, what lizard is big enough that you can bring to God's back door? It just doesn't work. And most importantly, God doesn't want it to work. God's not waiting to be impressed. God's not wanting to be impressed. God's not needing me to prove anything to God. I think sometimes we judge ourselves more harshly than God ever does. I think that's the thing with the Galatians. They think the law is something they do to prove their worth to God rather than realizing God gave them the law because God loved them and said, look, I want to help you live life in the kingdom. Try these things. And so we take it and turn it into a list to try to impress God. And it just doesn't work. And it gets really tiring over time. Uh, One of my colleagues, Daryl Smith, had a pretty good picture of it this week. He was talking about the movie Trading Places. I don't know if y'all remember the movie with Eddie Murphy. And basically these uh, commodity traders, the Duke brothers, are, have a bet. And they're going to try to see if they can, they can take somebody just off the street and make them successful. So on the street they find Eddie Murphy. They bring him in. They clean him up. They give him a new suit. And they tell him that in the mansion everything is his. This is now his. And he goes... Of course it is. And he starts stealing silverware and putting it in his pocket. And they go, no, really, this is yours. Yeah, I know it's mine. And he's stuffing everything. And Daryl made this observation that a lot of us are like that. We're trying to steal those things that are already ours. We're trying to manipulate and steal love and worth when they're already there and they're ours in Christ all the time. We're trying to become somebody and miss the fact that we've always been somebody. Trying to steal things out of our own account. It's already there and no wonder it's tiring. But that's what an orphan does. That's what a slave does. They have no sense of home, no sense of security, and they've got to grab for everything they can while they can. And of course, everything they grab can be pried loose eventually from their hands. Because the only things that really last are the things that are given, not the things that are grabbed. Another one of the people on the staff, Ryan Jacobson, was talking about visiting um, in Seattle relatives. And he has a three-and-a-half-year-old nephew. So like we do with a lot of young children, he, he was in the car and he was going, going through the list with his nephew. What do you want to be when you grow up? Fireman? No. Policeman? No. Astronaut? No. Doctor? No. Teacher? No. No, no, no. Everything. So finally, Ryan's a little exasperated and says, well, what do you want to be? 
And his nephew says, when I grow up, I still want to be a son. And I thought, he's got it. He doesn't realize it, but he's got it. No matter what age, to be a son. I mean, I've tried that list. Yeah, policeman, fireman, astronaut, pastor, pleaser. Right? Tried that. It doesn't work. It doesn't give you that which you can only receive, which has to come from God. Your place in the home, your place in the family. And I have to tell you that when you finally come to that, you will experience a freedom and joy that you have not experienced. When you no longer have to run after other people, but you can simply live out of your core who you are and live out of your own acceptance. I mean, it's, it's so much less energy dumping and draining. It's an amazing way to start to live as an heir, which you are, rather than an orphan, which you aren't. To live into that, to live as if you have a home, makes all the difference in the world. There's a guy who's done a lot of great work with people who have um, uh, pretty severe disabilities as adults. And his name is Jean Veneer, and he's started uh, things all over the world. Uh, homes uh, to care for people and to work with them and, and live and uh, be blessed by them. And he said this, he said, usually our calls, there are two great calls we get from God in life. And the first one is this, we sense God calling us to do something really significant. So we tell everybody, we're signing up to do this or we're going to do that. And everybody cheers, yay God, yay you, that's really good. And then he said, there's that second call after you're called to do something great for God, when you hear God's voice and you really understand that you can't do anything great from God. And nobody cheers then. But that's where we are. Look, there's just nothing big enough that you can haul to God's doggy door. And to finally come and say, I'm just doing what I can, where I am, with what I have, not to prove anything. To gain anything, but because I have gained and been given so much. It's an extremely freeing way to begin to live life like a child. Receiving rather than like a manipulative servant. Stuffing your pockets, your pants, and your coat with whatever you can grab hold of and think you can get out of here with. I am reminded of a, a famous story from a few decades ago about a seminary president in, in the North. And he'd done such a good job at, at, at a wonderful seminary that an Ivy League university offered him the presidency of their school. And he loved teaching the students. He was an ordained pastor. He loved what he did, but it just created inside him such a, a crisis internally. And his wife watched this go on for a few days. And then she got tired of watching it. And so she finally said to him, Donald, why don't we just grant that you're a success and let's get on with our life? Why do you have to move away from something you love to do something you may or may not love just to prove something to somebody else? See, the news about moving from orphan to heir is that you're already a success. You're already significant. You're already valuable. You don't have to prove or show anything to anybody. But I have to tell you this. 
I've been pastor here a long time, and the people at the football stadium selling tickets, I guess, figured that out. But I want to tell you, I see very few people make the jump from orphan to heir. I see very few people make the jump from slave to child. But it can be made. And that's what I'll talk about next week.